What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Well, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. From Chicago, this is Film Spotting. I'm Josh Larson. And I'm Adam Kempinar. And we are embarking on our trip to Argentina, our new Argentine cinema marathon, the first film in that series, Extraordinary Stories, the four-hour epic. Yes, we made the time. We hope some of you did as well. And if you haven't, you're going to hear us talk about it. We are both going to recommend the film. And you know if you've been a regular listener of the show that I have a hard time devoting that much time to a film, four-plus hours, but it really is worth it. And we hope that some of you will be encouraged. If you didn't see it already in preparation for this, if you didn't do your homework, you will, after hearing us talk about it, want to seek it out. And if you do that, you can view it exclusively over at Mubi. They are our partners for this series. Not every film in the series is on the Mubi platform, but the first two films are there exclusively as they are also doing a new Argentine cinema series. And we'll give you just a little bit of their background on it in the context of an unprecedented cinematic renovation led by the groundbreaking work of now internationally revered auteurs such as Lissandro Alonso, Lucretia Martel, or Martin Reitman. A group of young, extremely talented, and fiercely independent filmmakers joined the revolution and took things even further by setting up their own new rules. Here's a collection of fascinating, uncompromising, and utterly original films that defy all expectations, redefine low-budget cinema, and are certainly 100% made in Argentina. Mubi, we remind you, is the platform for cult, classic, and independent films from around the world. Every day, Mubi's experts introduce you to a film they love, and you have a whole month to watch it, so there will always be 30 extraordinary films for you to enjoy. Listeners of this show can try Mubi free for a month. No better time than now to follow along with this marathon. Just go to mubi.com slash Film spotting to redeem now. That's movie.com slash film spotting. In addition to the new Argentine cinema series they have going on, they're also looking at early Hitchcock, which is something I would love to delve into. And they've got a great slow burning horror film true to its title from the Japanese writer director Kiyoshi Kurosawa called Creepy. Go back to the end of that write up that movie had about this series, talking about movies that are utterly original, defy expectations, redefine low budget cinema, extraordinary stories was shot on DV, and are certainly 100% made in Argentina. All of those characteristics absolutely sum up this film. Yeah, they do. And here's what we were facing with Extraordinary Stories. It wasn't only the four-hour running time, but we should really talk about the structure of this film. You have three central, I would say, though disconnected stories Yes, um, that are, I guess, the anchor. But each of these meanders off into elaborate tangents like... 15-minute-long tangents yeah. on occasion. And sometimes don't even necessarily come back. They no, just go off. Exactly. And we also get this ever-expanding cast of characters. I think eventually it numbers in the dozens by the time this thing is over. So, you know, in my mind, you add all those things up, plus the four-hour running time, and you certainly have the elements for a potential pretentious disaster. You know, a movie just pleased with its own magnificence right. in structure and ambition. But I've got to say the the director, uh, Mariano Ginas, there's two things that he brings here. The gifts of a tantalizing short storyteller mm-hmm. so that every one of these chapters, 18 overall, I think, yeah. I was with completely. Mm-hmm. He has that. And also there's a lot of visual panache here, varying visual panache to these chapters that justify this being a cinematic form. So you could have him being a 
good short storyteller, but you could ask, why aren't we just reading these? Well, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of visual elements to offer here as well. So for me, you know, it could have been a cumbersome undertaking. I found it to be a hypnotic watch. Sounds like you're more on the latter end as well. Yeah, I'm completely with you and a little bit surprised by it. Not just that I went so much for a movie that was four hours long, but I watched this obviously on the movie platform and streamed it and was on vacation and had to watch it in parts, which happens with a lot of films, but is certainly going to happen with a four hour plus movie. I don't know. Did you actually make it through in one sitting? I broke it up in two because I did like a dinner break. There you so, go. So yeah. It does yeah. have intermissions. It has two intermissions built in. <laughs> so it, intermissions. It, it tells you to go ahead and yes. take a break. And I took well, those breaks. And as you said, it's not that if you forget a plot detail, it's right. necessarily going to, it will add things if you remember it, but it's not going to upend your experience. I, I feel no. because Ginas is so willing to explore every little alleyway that these stories offer. Right. And I'm more than willing to go along with them. Yeah, I was. And I guess that's what I was getting at. I'm watching this on vacation in between some trips to the beach with the kids and definitely could have been like, you know what? I just, I don't have the patience really to sit with this movie, but I got so caught up in the storylines really right from the very beginning that I was excited to go back and watch it after those breaks that I took. It is, of course, about one of my favorite subjects. It's about fundamentally storytelling and how non-storytellers, which are most of us, are still constantly engaged in the process of storytelling through the creation of narratives, how we make sense of the world and ourselves in it. We'll probably talk about that a lot or at least a fair amount over the course of this conversation. But this film really is, I mean, the title is perfect. It seems like a pretty generic title to call a movie Extraordinary Stories. And yet this is truly that life in all its tedium, characters who are mostly unremarkable in every way, who get caught up in or through their own actions and their own decisions, catch themselves up in really remarkable situations. Mm -hmm. And you know how the movie is working on you, or I suppose maybe not working on you. For me, it was definitely the former. When the narrator, and we'll talk about the narration, but when the narrator says at one point something like, because what will happen next to this character is so bizarre and so weird. And not only could I not wait to see what the character was about to see, I felt that excitement of knowing that I have no idea what it could be. I have absolutely no clue. All bets were off at this point because of the tangents we'd already gone down, all the new characters we'd met, some of the truly unusual things that had happened in a movie that otherwise is about everyday life and, as I said, everyday characters. I really had no idea what was coming next. There was a part of me that when I finally saw it revealed, I was initially almost disappointed that it wasn't weirder. And then I took a moment to realize, wait, no, it's it's really weird, actually. It, it is really weird. <laughs> well, it it is in some cases, but also disappointment is part of the purposeful experience. I think here. so. This yeah. is this is the the meta element that worked. I can be suspicious of films like this, but it worked here because there's a playfulness. You mentioned the voiceover narrative, and it's so redundant in certain instances, telling us exactly what we've just seen. Right. I thought of The Lobster, which does that kind of comically mm-hmm. a little bit, that you recognize there's a certain playfulness there. And talking about our expectations in many cases not being fulfilled, and we're often waiting for a turn or a climax or a resolution that we don't get. You understand that that's entirely the point, particularly in one of those three narrative threads where Ginas plays a character. I think he just goes by X, right? Right. And it's this guy who comes. X, Z, and H are the three main characters. Yeah. And X 
comes across or finds himself in the possession of a mysterious briefcase and he gets paranoid about what he's been involved in. So he holds up. He's a bureaucrat on a business trip. He holds up in his hotel room for, I think it turns out to be certainly weeks, possibly months. Yeah, I felt like it was several months. Yeah. And this becomes almost an acknowledgement of what we're going through as the audience because he's reduced to reading the newspaper, listening to the radio to find out plot details about that briefcase yes. when it breaks onto the news. And we're in the same position. Mm-hmm. We're trapped in Ginas's hands waiting for him to parcel out information. And sometimes we get some. Sometimes it is remarkable and it kind of holds us there so that we wait for the next one. But more often than not, we'll go off on another tangent and something will be left behind. Yeah. I, I didn't find it frustrating at all. Again, because of some of those visual touches, uh, since we're talking about the hotel sequence here, I'll mention this is where we get a series of sliding frames yes. of X standing in his hotel room, walking back and forth, mm-hmm. and the whole picture will slide across the yep. screen. Eventually, I think it starts from right to left. Then it starts going from top to bottom until it almost creates this um, this unseen box. We only see one frame at a time, but in my mind, I started to feel a box around huh. me, and and you essentially get boxed in as he is, and as this narrative often does, uh, in in a way that was you know entirely pleasurable. Again, not frustrating. Yeah, I loved that hotel sequence only because of the way it explores how easy it is for him to actually accept this new life of solitude. It's almost like he's imprisoned. And that seems like it should be a bad thing, that loss of freedom. And in some ways, the movie, without actually telling us directly, even with all that narration, it becomes a case of him embracing, I think, the lack of Mm decision-making, getting lost in a story. That's ultimately Mm -hmm. what happens. He just gets lost in a story the way we all do, the way we are with this film. And... At the same time, he still does have a purpose. If you think about what the point of of life is and what drives us, it's coming up with whatever we think our purpose is. And sometimes we are framing that in the form of a narrative, whether it's true or not. It's how we want to see ourselves. It's what we want to believe. And he still has a purpose, even as he's just stuck in that hotel room. The purpose is he thinks he's doing something right. He's staying there to not get caught, to not avoid any detection. He's scared. But at some point that morphs into just it's easier. Life is actually easier this way. And I'm so focused on this story and solving this mystery that that in and of itself becomes the purpose. So I love that. And the narration, you mentioned the word redundant. That's obviously true here. It shifts. It surprised me like crazy when after a good hour and a half, we went to a different narrator. Yes. All of a sudden. There might be there are three. three or, there okay, are. There, there are distinct narrators here in the different parts. And the narration shouldn't work because I was going to say that it's constantly telling when it should be showing, which is the cardinal sin of narration. Mm-hmm. But that's not exactly true because most often it's telling us and showing us. So it's actually committing there's, the there's other the great sin, which is the redundancy, <laughs> right. except the visual is what's redundant. We're actually most often hearing the narration, anticipating what we're about to see. So it's telling us what's about yeah, to happen. It's predictive in many cases. Yeah. And so it creates this odd effect where I discovered that the action that occurs, what we do finally see after we've been told it's going to happen, it's not what's important. It demystifies the action. So you become like one of the characters searching for the clues within the action, within the pieces of the puzzle. If you know, and this happens in the context of one of these stories, if you know the gun is about to be shot, the fact that it is shot isn't important. It's certainly not as important as why, 
how exactly it's shot and at who and all that what a different information point exactly reveals. all that information that we don't know becomes what's important instead of what we do know what the narration has told us we become active in the creation of the narrative so i was immediately struck by playful i think is the right word and how as i said it seemed to be doing all the things we never want from narration but the way it's used here is actually really effective you had mentioned the characters finding a purpose. I think that might be a common thread, you know, one, sure. one sense of what's holding all these together if they don't narratively meet. And we we should say, you know, the puzzle isn't solved at the end. No. This is, and I'm, I'm happy for that. Me too. I think that would have been disappointing. But you can notice two of these guys, X we mentioned, also Z, played by Walter Jacob, is another bureaucrat, essentially, a guy who's sent to a new job, essentially in the middle of nowhere, doesn't even really know what his duties are. He has no purpose. And these are two guys who, in this case, Z starts to look into his predecessor's life mm -hmm. and becomes consumed with that and finds a purpose there. Then we have H, the third character, played by Augustine Mendilha Harzu. Sure. That was terrible. I apologize, <laughs> Augustine. But this is someone who's hired to travel down this forgotten river looking for signs of an abandoned development project. What's interesting about him is he starts out with a clear purpose. Right. And it gets taken away yeah, from him. Yeah, that's true. So there, there's something going on here where as these stories get more fantastic, they they do give some of the characters a reason for being. And in the case of another character, it's taken away. You talked about the sliding screens, the use of split screens, some of the other visual things that are going on here. And in terms of narrative devices, the digressions that we mentioned, the flashbacks, there are dream sequences. There is direct-to-camera addresses by a dead guy to a dead guy. And now that I think about it, I'm not sure that the guy who's actually doing the addressing is dead. But he definitely utilizes every different type of storytelling technique that he can. And that sense, you talked about the perspective. I think that's really interesting, too, the way we see different events from different perspectives. Each time we get a little bit closer and there becomes more to scrutinize. My sense of it, and I could be wrong as I think about the film, and there, there may be some exceptions to this, but it's not about point of view. Like if you notice in that first sequence where that that first guy, and now I don't remember which letter he is, but the guy who ends up in the hotel. Yeah, X. X. When we see the shootout, we see three men have an argument. We see one of them shoot another guy. Mm -hmm. And when we first see it, I thought we were probably seeing it from his point of view. Turns out we're not. The camera is a different perspective completely from where this character is. It's ostensibly the narrator's point of view. It's an omniscient point of view. We then see that same event play out at least two more times, maybe three. Each time we get closer, each time we see it from... That same kind of omniscient point of view, but just a different angle, or as I said, a, a closer angle. So it's not necessarily about seeing how any characters within the scene experience it. It's not about their subjectivity. We always have this omniscient perspective. It's the storyteller's perspective, and that storyteller can decide when to change it. Right. And, and the storyteller, as you said, changes voices, too. So mm -hmm. that's another dynamic at play. I think one of the reasons this held me as well is something that didn't occur to me till afterwards when when I was honestly thinking, like, why was this such an enjoyable watch when it didn't sound like it necessarily would be? And I think it's the performances, which are somewhat odd. They're almost performing as if they're in a documentary. There isn't a lot of dialogue. No. 
they're mostly observed. The camera yes. observes action and they are playing characters, again, as if they are just being captured by a documentarian's camera. And I think what you need there is, you know, a certain level of naturalism. Of course, sometimes it's just an imposing physical presence. One yeah. of the actors who stood out to me was uh, there's a robbery sequence, let's say, and Pilo Nelly plays the guy conducting the robbery, this kind of short, bald, stout guy. Uh-huh. This entire robbery, talking about more aesthetic creativity, yeah. is shown in still photos, right. a series of still photos. Yeah. But as the robber, Pilo Nelly like really stands, holds his ground there. And then the other performances I wanted to highlight were as these two sisters on this farm. And this is a tangent. I mean, it's yeah. a long tangent, <laughs> yeah. but it's not necessarily crucial to Z's story. He encounters these two sisters when he stays on this farm. They're played by Lola Arias and Mariana Chowd. And this muted love triangle develops and what they're able to do, they can just communicate all the emotion that's needed with these mm-hmm. little giveaway glances, yeah. um, single expressions, again, not much dialogue. And I think those performances and others throughout the film do hold you in sway. So, so while there's a lot of gamesmanship going on, yeah. there is also a humanity in these performances that you're able to lock into. I agree completely. And I love those two performances in particular of the sisters and at one point, the narrator is describing them to us, and we're seeing them in close-up, and it's a very complex description. It's a lot of words. It's, it's novelistic. Not, yeah, it's it really is. And maybe it's because we're just looking at them, and we're being told this is how they are, so our brains can't help but buy into what the narrator is telling us. But they're embodying all of those characteristics. Yes. Like, I fully believe that entire complicated, long-winded description of who they are, not just one or two traits that they have. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there is something to those performances that makes us believe that. You mentioned the performances and how they're mainly almost observational, and we're observing them. There's not a lot of dialogue. This is Exhibit A and why it is sometimes good to read other reviews of a movie, not before you've seen it, or even after you've prepared for it, but before you sit down to talk about it, there's not a lot written about this movie. I think, actually, you're one of five reviews at Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> I noticed today, Josh, now that you've seen the movie. But there is a variety review of this film, and it said something that, after I read it, I thought, God, I'm an idiot. I didn't I didn't notice this. I didn't notice it in a way that I would have articulated it to someone. Of course, I was aware of it the whole time, subconsciously. But actually, with very few exceptions... We don't actually ever see any of the main characters talk. They don't talk. Yeah, I think you're right. If you think about it, go back, replay those scenes in your mind. You think they do because, for example, when you see that bureaucrat, the character who shows up for the first time, there's a lot of scenes where people talk to him. But when he's talking to them, the narrator's talking. Right. And the chatterbox, very funny yeah. Small character that's in his office, a where he, a coworker he befriends and regrets. He's talking it. all the time. <laughs> he's completely so he's just, talking. He has yeah. to listen. But when we see him talking, it's not as if he doesn't talk. But the character on the boat in that sequence, mm-hmm. that's H. Yes, he doesn't ever talk, and he is being talked to a lot. They're always being spoken to without speaking themselves. Even the scenes between the character on the farm with the sisters is always listening to them and always listening to those other characters. So another bold choice that is so bold and yet very subtle that we didn't notice because of all the narration that they are forced as performers to give these very 
subtle and very observational type performances. So I appreciate that that was shoved in my face in that variety review. I wanted to ask you, though, about the end of the movie. Yeah. You mentioned how it doesn't tie everything together. I love that fact. But I struggled with the end of this film. And I think it's because I was really aware watching up to that point, watching the first three and a half hours of this movie, that it seemed to me, of course, I didn't know at the time that he was building up to giving that third storyline with H on the river tour and the character he meets. I didn't realize he was going to give that so much attention at the end. Right. But up until that point, that's the forgotten storyline. If you break down the minutes, the minutes of just pure screen time, and then also my interest in the characters and their stories, the ones with X and Z are far more fascinating and get far more screen time. Well, keep in mind that H's story on the river is predated right. by a long, a long sequence setting up. We never see those characters we again. Never see them again. Right. So you're right. That's part of it. But we're not spending that time with that character. Right. And it seemed to me I was going to say that it feels pretty clear that Genos prefers those two storylines to that third one which is why it feels like an afterthought and yet we get to the end of the film and it it ends the film it's the culmination mm-hmm. of the movie and i found it to be by far the least satisfying and all this all this energy that came from all these great aesthetic choices and the narrative threads not necessarily coming together but the way he juggles all of them was so satisfying and honestly nothing about the last 20 minutes or so of this movie did much for me. See, that was what I found really interesting is that whenever you get a film that's somewhat constructed like this, and I can't say that I've seen any that are really exactly constructed like this, but with multiple storylines that are jumping back and forth, usually one falls by the wayside. Right. I didn't have that. Okay. And I don't know if it's just because the scenes on the river provided also a little bit of a visual respite. They were more rural where the other sequences, uh, for the most part, are taking place in offices or towns or town squares, places like that. I will say I was thrown by the fact that the film ends not with any of those three characters. It ends with another guy who... I was equally fascinated in, but there was just in the last 30 seconds something I, I'm, I'm honestly torn because it was at once deflating because it didn't end with one of the three. But then I also right. admire the decision not to choose one. Sure. Of them, you know? Yeah. And uh, this guy we end with is a mystery. Yeah. A real mystery. And, and I like that the movie chooses to stop right in the middle of that mystery as sort of a confirmation of its disinterest and closure. Yeah, no, I can intellectualize it that way, just on a pure enjoyment level. Yeah. Everything about that flashback within that storyline and what that leads up to when he was a kid. Yeah. I, it just it it was the only one. Music, yeah, it allows which, for piece of music, which I also didn't necessarily love. So it just, it didn't, it didn't add up to anything for me by the end of it in terms of choosing to end with that storyline. I felt like some of the energy waned, I suppose, because I enjoyed the other two storylines and their myriad offshoots so much. It felt like a little bit of a disappointment, but the movie really is a wonder and it's certainly worth seeing. We hope, as we said, that you are encouraged to seek out the movie and we'll play along with this marathon because I think we're going to get a lot of these kinds of films. Maybe you're out there thinking, I've never been really interested in Argentine cinema. Maybe I've heard of Martel and that's about it. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I'm 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 so encouraged after this first movie and knowing some of the films we have on the horizon, just really vaguely what they're about. We're going to get some really creative, 
inventive types of stories here. And that excites me. The next film we've got is Castro from 2009, Alejo Moishansky. Also in that Variety review, I think I noticed they pointed out that Moishansky is, is in Extraordinary Stories. Do you know no, which character? He's not, he's not in it. The cinematographer That's is in. Is. He's one of the main characters. The cinematographer of the film is one of the three oh, main characters. Okay. But Moishansky, the director of Castro, second film, edited Extraordinary Stories. I saw his name, yep. and for some reason, it went by quickly, assumed he was in the cast, so I tried to look into that, but okay, that yeah, no, it. he was the editor. So, movie.com slash filmspotting, that is where you can sign up for your free trial. You have time, you have about three weeks to catch up with both Extraordinary Stories and Castro, and we have links to both of those movies and the complete lineup over at filmspotting.net. Just click on Marathons. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Film Spotting is listener supported. Join the Film Spotting family at filmspottingfamily.com and get access to ad free episodes, monthly bonus shows, our weekly newsletter, and for the first time, all in one place, the entire Film Spotting Archive going back to 2005. That's at filmspottingfamily.com.